So Place.tv is the video recording app for gamers. And uniquely, it's also the only video recording app that helps you get better as a player. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today we have Dennis Fong, who is the CEO of Plays.tv, which is a video sharing gamer community. And I'll let him explain what that is in a second. Dennis has also led other game-related business ventures. He's also known as Thresh in gaming circles. I actually used to follow him in his Quake days. And he was formerly known as a world champion of Doom, Doom 2, Quake, and Quake 2, and was called the Michael Jordan of video games by the Wall Street Journal before turning 23. Dennis, how's it going? Uh, It's going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, I mean, why don't you give us a little more background on kind of what your story is and how you got to where you are? Sure. So I, like any kid, I used to play a lot of video games uh, when I was younger. Um, And this is back in kind of the 90s when online gaming really was uh, just starting to get popular. And uh, I didn't realize that was really that good until I started competing in tournaments and realized that I never lost Um, and uh, built up a name for myself as being the best um, first-person shooter uh, gamer at, during those days, um, and then became, I believe, the first uh, professional gamer, first esports guy back in the 90s. Um, I was sponsored by Microsoft and and a bunch of other companies, um, you know, making six figures, you know, and when I was 16. Um, and then I won a Ferrari uh, in a Quake tournament in 1997. Um, and, you know, it was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal and pretty much every major news publication. Uh, and that's kind of how I kicked off my career. Um, and then kind of all along the, around the same time, uh, I realized that I uh, had saved up a lot of money and didn't really know what to do with it. And so I used my winnings and my endorsement money to go start my first company, which was called Gamers.com in 1996, which is like a gaming portal. Um, And, you know, I'm now on to my fifth company. Got it. Okay, great. And by the way, I mean, I forgot. Did you end up did you end up selling the Ferrari? I mean, what happened with the Ferrari? Because I don't remember you driving it. Uh, yeah, no, I drove it for a little bit. Uh, well, I had it for about 10 years. Um, huh. I actually had it installed in the lobby of uh, my office. Right, okay. Um, this is a cool memento. Uh, I didn't really drive it that often. Um, but yeah, it was cool. I had an agent. Um, you know, For a long time after I retired, I retired kind of uh, around uh, Quake 3, Quake 4. Um, you know, there weren't a lot of people that, you know, were successful at, at esports uh, until more recently. So it was me and then uh, my buddy Fatality. Mm. Uh, and then there was kind of a lull until this whole esports thing kind of uh, blew up around League of Legends. Got it. Okay. And so, so I mean, I, when I look at all your, your business ventures, when I look at Crunchbase, for example, it seems that you've kind of always stayed around gaming. So, you know, what's the story behind that? I mean, how do you continue to evolve around that considering that you're not even playing professionally anymore? 
Uh, so four out of the five companies that I've started were in gaming. Um, all five, though, um, were related to connecting people, communities, and social. Um, so Gamers.com was a gaming portal. It was uh, the, the leading games portal, uh, as ranked by Nielsen back in the day. Um, we sold that, and then uh, we immediately started a new company called Lithium Technologies, um, which is the only non-gaming company out of the bunch. Uh, it was basically like uh, creating uh, online communities and social for enterprise customers like Dell and Sony and Cisco and eBay and PayPal, etc. Um, that company was acquired recently um, by Vista Partners for a few hundred million dollars. Um, and then I started another gaming company after that called Xfire, uh, which was the first instant messenger made for gamers. Uh, so we invented, if, if you have a gaming audience, we invented like in-game overlays. We invented like your status messages, being able to see what your friends are playing. Like all of that, all of those features didn't exist before Xfire. And then uh, Viacom MTV bought that for uh, about a hundred some odd million dollars in 2006. Uh, and then, then uh, you know, I've started a couple of companies after that. And most recently it's Plays.TV, which is uh, a, a video recording uh, app for, for gamers. This question is probably the most relevant to you because, I mean, I've never seen anybody go, you know, well, I mean, besides myself playing a ton of games in the past. I mean, but how does one go from gamer to entrepreneur? Uh, I mean, so to me, gaming, well, one thing that gaming did for me personally was it got me into technology and, and tech in general. Uh, especially back in those days, you really had to, you had to, you had to learn the ins and outs of networking and technology and IT uh, just to be able to play games with one another. And the right video card, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you had to upgrade your PC constantly. You had to figure out how to connect. You know, at the time, it was like modems, you know, and how to, how to you know, uh, I mean, there was just a whole bunch of stuff that you had to learn along the way just to, just, just to play games. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so that's kind of number one. Number two, I, I think uh, the top gamers that I've, that I've met, uh, many of whom are my friends, are incredibly competitive, uh, much like athletes. Um, and so I think, you know, the competitiveness and, and the drive uh, and relentless pursuit of winning, um, you know, applies to, to all facets of life, not just games. Uh, and then number three, uh, I think to be the best in anything, really, you know, whether it's a game or sport or, or anything else, uh, requires, you know, there's some, there's some part of your brain, there's some kind of part of your brain that works uh, naturally that gives you, you know, some competitive edge. And, and for me personally, it's um, my ability to uh, see things through other people's eyes without having to spend uh, really mental energy to do so. So, um, you know, I can basically, when I was playing games, I could literally predict what other people were doing before they even realized they wanted to do it. Um, and they had coined a term around that called Thresh ESP. <laughs> Um, because it seemed like, you know, they called me the most intelligent player. Um, and so I, you know, that's just the way my brain naturally works. And so you can apply that to business, whether it's marketing and you're trying to put yourself in the eyes of your users or business development or partnerships where you're trying to put yourself in the, in the eyes of, you know, uh, your partner. Um, you know, it's just, it's a pretty useful skill, um, all around. Love it. Yeah. I think we can nerd out on gaming all day, but I I do want to talk about your newest venture plays.tv. So what is plays.tv, you know, and how do you guys make money? So plays.tv is a, it's a video recording app, uh, for gamers. Um, um, but, and uniquely it's also the, the only video recording app that helps you get better as a player. 
Um, and so it not only does it record what you do um, when you play, um, but it actually can figure out like um, all your kills, deaths, assists, um, like all of the key moments uh, while you're playing. We basically generate a, a, a visual timeline of your match and then uh, have like um, bookmarks created um, and highlights created around every key moment. So let's just say you got a triple kill you know, while playing CSGO. Uh, instead of having to dig through an hour-long video file, when you come out of the match, it's you know you can find it in a few seconds. Um, but more importantly, from a self-improvement perspective, you know if you die, you screw up, and you're like, oh man, how did I die? What are, you know what did I do wrong? You can go back and look at that replay and find that moment instantly and watch it instantly from uh, from your perspective. Um, and the cool thing is that unlike a traditional replay, which breaks after every match and it doesn't record like your actual point of view, meaning like uh, you, what we're recording is the actual video of you playing from your perspective. So you see the fog of war, you could hear the in-game communications, you could see where your mouse was clicking. There's a whole bunch of things there um, as a gamer where it's, it's fundamentally way more useful than an in-game replay. And so, uh, you know, uh, but really ultimately it's kind of, I mean, the, the, the core of the service is kind of like Instagram for gamers. So it's a, it's a social video platform for you to both share cool stuff that you did as well as uh, watch cool stuff that other people are doing. Got it. And then, so, I, I mean, part of, well, you just mentioned kind of Instagram for, for gamers, but I was thinking kind of gamer, almost like video kind of analytics um, because you guys are learning, you guys are zooming into points where like key things happen, right? So my question around that point is, you mentioned, okay, first-person shooters, but does this apply to like a League of Legends as well? Does it apply to kind of multiple games or is it just first-person shooters? Oh yeah, it's all games. So we, you know, we have everything from League and Dota to Rocket League and Overwatch and Counter Strike. Um, you know, uh, it's it's pretty broad. It's not actually. It's, I wouldn't think of it as like a co coaching or analytics platform. It just happens to be one of the core features of our app that people love. Great. Okay. And how do you guys make money? Uh, we haven't we haven't actually started monetizing it yet, but we are. Um, we plan to introduce uh, premium features. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, millions and millions of people that, that already use the product and, and service monthly. Um, and we have creators that have pretty big followings, right? We have guys that have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers on Blaze TV. And so we want to give them a way to monetize uh, their audience as well. So we're probably going to introduce uh, advertising, video advertising, as well as things like uh, tip jars and donations and that kind of stuff. Nice. How many millions of users right now? Uh, the last, I think the last number we announced was north of 10. Okay, got it. Yeah. Let me know when advertising is on. <laughs> um, great. So, I mean, for you guys, I mean, you know, I always ask the question to people, you know, how'd you go about acquiring, let's say, because you guys already have, you know, what, 10 million or so, I mean, how'd you go about acquiring the, your first uh, 100,000 users? Uh, so, I mean, we, we had some unique advantages, A, um, you know, because of my, my history in the space. Um, you know, it's relatively easy for me to get some people to try it and to get some good PR around it. Uh, you know, when, you know, the, what the Wall Street Journal calls the Michael Jordan of video games launches something in video gaming, you know, we're going to get some decent press around it. Mm -hmm. Um, B, I leverage my network. Um, so a lot of the, the top, uh, pro gaming or esports teams, uh, the owners, as well as the players are friends of mine, people that I've helped mentor or still continue to give advice to. And so... Uh, you know, these guys are now the, the, the real rock stars of esports and, and kind of uh, the new generation of uh, stars. 
Um, and so getting them to try it and thankfully, uh, they all liked it. Um, you know, and once they started using it and sharing clips and tweeting about it, um, you know, that, that, that made the, the start pretty easy for us. Got it. Okay. And <clears throat> I mean, so, you know, five business ventures that you had already, I mean, it sounds like your hit rate is hundred percent, right? I mean, you succeeded at all of them. Uh, so far. Okay, so th- that's something I want to come back to later because uh, that probably comes back to your gaming background. Um, okay, but so you, 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 t- you talked about kind of leveraging your brand for the first 100,000. People are like, okay, that's great. You know, I probably can't do that. So what is the most effective thing that's working for you in terms of uh, customer acquisition nowadays? Uh, I mean, a lot of it, I think, depends on the business and industry that you're in. Um, for us, you know, people, I mean, first you have to, I mean, the challenge for us was we are a ultimately think of the app as a user-generated content engine, right? People, people download the app to, to record themselves playing and doing cool stuff, and then they share that content elsewhere. And so I think where we found also uh, a, a lot of our early users was um, on places like Facebook and Twitter and Reddit, um, where, where people actually were sharing their own clips self-promoting. And when those clips blew up, people, you know, they watch it on plays.tv, and then they find out about Plays.tv through that. Um, so, you know, I think uh, for, for both the enterprise and consumer businesses these days, uh, leveraging social channels, which are typically free, um, is, is a great place to start. Got it. So what I'm hearing is kind of, you know, referral marketing and then, you know, kind of word of mouth, right? That, that works out well for you guys, obviously. Well, I, I think historically, at least in all the companies that I've started, um, you, the best marketer is always your customer, um, which means listening to your customer, listening to user feedback, um, and using every opportunity to build a stronger relationship with your user slash customer. Um, even, and you know, oftentimes actually, uh, and I think this is something that a lot of people don't realize, is sometimes when you screw up, when you screw up really big, it's actually the best opportunity to build a better relationship with your customer. Interesting. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people freak out, you know, when something bad happens or you screw up, and you know, a customer suffers for it. Do you have an example uh, of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, this this happened plenty of times. Whether it's at Lithium, which is dealing with enterprise customers, um, or even at Place TV, where you know, let's just say there's a crash or a server goes down or there's a bug. Uh, and they're very upset by it, you know, like at least in the lithium world where we're dealing with enterprise customers, you don't often get to chat with like their senior, you know, the senior VP of marketing or the chief marketing officer at like a really big fortune 500 company. But like, let's just say our servers went down and, you know, it caused, it caused a whole bunch of their customers that we were servicing to not, you know, not to be able to uh, accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. They're pissed. You know, and then the CMO or SVP of marketing is pissed and they call us. And, you know, that's what I mean. It's like, you know, yeah, they're going to be pissed off initially, but how you respond to that and how you will follow up and remedy that situation can oftentimes make them, you know, actually feel better about you at the end of the day. Um, you know, otherwise they don't really care about what you're doing that much. You know, you're just a service provider. Uh, so Play TV, we have similar things where, you know, we screw up, our service goes down. You know, we encounter a user encounters a bug, and you know they're 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 complaining about us on Twitter, and we actually reach out to them, and we you know we actually talk to them, we have a conversation with them, we find out what's wrong, we you know we fix it, and then we follow up with them afterwards to make sure they're cool, and we basically have flipped someone from being a hater to an advocate, a brand advocate, um, which is huge. 
So um, that's what I mean. There's a lot of opportunities there to convert convert customers into advocates. Got it. Yep, makes total sense. And I, 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 you know, the, the one question I usually ask people is, tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing, you know, um, the, their business. But here's the thing: you've actually had five different ventures. So what's the most memorable struggle that you can recall? So you've talked about server issues, things like that. Um, but what's another big struggle that you can, you know, that that really sticks out for you? Uh, I mean, I think the things that. Um, are I, I feel that impact me um, kind of most uh, at every company that I've started are always people things, people issues. Um, you know, I think uh, in the early days, my first company, you know, I was running a company of uh, 100, 130 employees when I was 21. So CEO of 135 employees, and I had very little clue about what I was doing. Um, so I remember back in those days, the things that would stress me out would be, you know, like a VP or a director or whoever, you know, any employee coming up to me and telling me about their family issues or personal issues and whether we could help help them out as a, as a company. You know, because I, I, at the time, I was just not mentally uh, equipped to handle, like, I didn't really know how to handle that kind of situation. Uh, and then later in the, in the life of my first company, we had to go through layoffs were obviously really tough as well. Um, but, you know, I would say on a, on a regular basis, almost everything else I can kind of, it's pretty easy for me to roll with. But, you know, when you're dealing with like uh, people and people issues, uh, whether it's personal, like completely unrelated to the company, but they're people, they're part of our family effectively. And, you know, struggling to find a way to help them, um, you know, is super tough, right? Like, as an example, there's someone who's been with the company for a long time and, you know, they have medical bills piling up, but you have to lay them off. You know, what do you do? You know, like, you know, those are or like maybe maybe their medical issue, you know, their medical health is is impacting their work and has been impacting the work significantly. You let them go or not, you know, like those are the kind of things that at least that keep me up at night. Got it. So, I mean, you know, what is your general? I'm sure you have some processes around this now, right, in terms of kind of the order that you follow. So what do you do in this situation now? Let's say I come to you. I say, Dennis, man, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've got issues. I can't work for for, you know, two months. What happens? I mean, I think those typically, I mean, that's actually pretty straightforward. Uh, I mean, I have had folks that I've worked with who have like, you know, their doctor tells them they have, you know, a year or two years to live. Um, you know, they have, you know, issues with, uh, you know, like brain issues or whatever. And it impacts their emotional state. It impacts their physical state, uh, which impacts all the people around them. Um, you know, but you know, if you if you let them go, they're going to be without health insurance. You know, <laughs> so what do you do? Like, you know, their work is suffering. They're impacting negatively the people around them. Uh, they can't really help it because it's a it's a health issue. Um, you know, and you want to help them out. Uh, so you know, those are the kind of things that are actually difficult, uh, and it's really just a case by case basis. I'm assuming it sounds from the sound of it, it sounds like you do actually end up helping them out. We try. I mean, we definitely go. Uh, you, we go above and beyond. Um, sure, because life is just too short. Yeah, I think the thing that we can agree on, and you know, I talk about this with other entrepreneurs all the time, is just you know, hiring and, and having great people is is the most important thing, right? It seems like you know, with five other ventures, you agree with that. So, I mean, what else have you? What are some other key lessons that you've learned from having going through these five companies and also being a you know world champion gamer? Uh, I would say one of the biggest learning experiences that I've had is um, that so you know when I when, when I'm compete like so basically the way that I competed as a gamer is not necessarily the best way. You can't apply that 
competitiveness and ruthlessness to building a company. And I, I believe that you could early on in my career, and I've learned along the way that you can't, right? So uh, compassion is actually uh, more important. You know, like, so what I mean is I used to just think, like, I'm going to drag you over the finish line if I have to. And, you know, if you're, if you're struggling to find the right answer, I'll just give you the answer. Um, and what I learned is that people don't grow if you, if you consistently are just giving them the right answer. Because they rely on you. Yeah, they become reliant. Uh, and, then, and I think for any, every, for any business and for any person that works at a company, I think the most valuable thing they can take away from any company and time that they spend there is growth, personal growth. Like, you know, how can they grow, you know, their skills? How can they grow professionally, uh, personally? And that means that you have to let people make mistakes. Um, that means that you have to uh, mentor them and, and teach them in a compassionate way, uh, not just tell them what to do. Um, you know, you, you kind of just you kind of have to have to let them make mistakes, um, which takes a lot longer. <laughs> like, it's, it, you know, yeah, it takes a lot longer. It's going to take you initially at least 30 percent, 40 percent longer for them to get the job done, especially with salespeople. Yeah. Uh, and you have to you have to let them make those mistakes. But in the long run, uh, A, they're going to be more loyal. B, they're going to be a lot happier. C, they're going to be way more successful for you in the long term. You know, like, you know, yeah, it took 40 percent longer the first time. The second time it takes 20 percent longer. The third time it's about the same. And then from then on, they're doing things way, way faster and growing as, a, as an individual and within your org. Um, because, uh, you know, you're, you're giving them the group, the room to grow. And it sounds like, I mean, when you say compassion, it almost sounds like you got a lot more patient as you know, the years wore on. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, a hundred percent. Uh, and I'm still learning, I'm still learning to be more compassionate. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, uh, if you haven't watched Jeff Wiener's talk from, from, uh, from LinkedIn, uh, about compassionate management, uh, that was a big inspiration for me. Uh, because, you know, it, it rang very true to my own personal experiences. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I mean, one thing I want to know, and I mean, that actually rings really true with me because being, having a gaming background too, you know, I just, what, yeah, yeah, I want to drag people over the, the, the finish line or I just want to kill everything, right? Especially if you're a first-person shooter uh, or first-person gamer. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing that I'm, I'm wondering too because you know, it seems that you you seem to succeed with everything that you touch. How do you generally structure your day, and kind of what habits propel you forward? Um, well, in general, I'm an early riser, so I try to get a lot of stuff done uh, early in the morning before. What time is that? Uh, I'll wake up probably around six. Um, uh, but you know, I mean, I, I think in general, um, you know, I try to get a lot of stuff done in the morning, um, and. You know, I, 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 this for for me personally, I feel like I think I have uh, a tendency to. Um, well, I, I would say I I, I hate lit- like the small details. Like just personally, it's like one thing I just can't stand. <laughs> and if they pile up too, this is what I've just found. If it, if, they, if I let them pile up too much, uh, I never get around to them. And so, like as a habit, I try to address the little, try to get the little stuff done sooner. Uh, so I don't get to that point, but that's just my own personal thing. Like, uh, I, I just, I hate getting into the minutia of things. 
Got it. Okay, makes sense. I mean, so okay, you get a lot of stuff done in the morning. Uh, you don't you don't like dealing with the minutia, maybe the little details. Um, what else do you do as well? Because you know, I always ask other people like, well, what else do you do? You journal? Do you meditate? Like, do you eat some crazy diet? Like, what what else makes you? What what are some cheat codes or hacks that you have? Uh, to be honest, I don't know if I have any. I mean, um, I mean, I I try to stay in shape, uh, which helps you keep mentally. Uh, you know, I think it's not just physical; it's mental. Um, you know, I think, uh, having, uh, some semblance of work-life balance is pretty important. Um, do you really believe you know, that though? Coming from a gaming background? <laughs> well, I mean, gaming, so it's funny cause gaming is to me, it's, it's, it's part of my release, you know? So <laughs> just because I work in gaming, like people, people think that when you have a gaming related company that is, it's so awesome because all you do is play games all day. Yeah. That's, 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 <laughs> which yeah. is furthest from the truth. Um, you know, but I, I still love playing games. I'm still very competitive. You know, like uh, the games that I play, I'm still incredibly competitive. Um, you know, it's it, it's just built. It's ingrained in me, right? So, like a uh, game that I play is Clash Royale. Uh, ranked top 100 globally in that game. Uh, you know, like it's just like you know any game that I play, I, I play very seriously. I feel you. Cool. All right. A couple more questions. We're working towards wrapping up here. What's one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot, a lot of value for you? So, for example, could be Evernote. Uh, there's one that we, um, I think we're still seeing the benefits from it. Um, but uh, like, uh, it's basically well, it's a tool called Small Improvements, which is what we use at the company um, to manage. Uh, like, it's kind of like a. It, I don't know how to best describe it. It's just a way to like do one-on-ones and set goals and objectives and stuff for people uh, within the company. I, I, I don't, like I don't even think the, I don't even think the tool necessarily is the best tool out of that class of tools. Um, but it's 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 one of the it's the first time I've adopted one of these tools over the past I don't know seven eight years, and uh, I'm finding it to be a, a super awesome and easy way to. Uh, kind of help structure your know, like the one-on-one meetings and help help drive this compassionate management and growth that I, I spoke about earlier. You know, you know what's funny? Um, so we use fifteen five. Um, it's not one of those tools. Um, but it, it's basically like when you look at it, you have a dashboard and it's, it's managing the whole process. This it, this in itself becomes a game, right? So everything exactly, is gamified. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. Like just having a little bit of structure there. Uh, you know, I think is is really helpful for both the. The managers and employees and team members. Um, you know, again, we're, we're still like learning how to how to best use it, but um, I, I'm a big fan of at least uh, these types of tools, uh, which are really inexpensive. Um, get a lot of mileage out of it. Um, totally agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's the one-on-ones, the OKRs, all that kind of stuff. So I, yep, I'll, I'll take yep. a look at this, but we we use ours. I'll, I'll probably drive my ops guy crazy if I want to if I add another tool. No, that's why I said there's a whole bunch that are all very similar. Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying this one's the best one. It just happened to be the one that we decided to try first, and and, and we we just stuck with it. What's one must-read book that you'd recommend to everyone? Uh, Business-related? Could be business. <laughs> could be could be fiction. Uh, well, I mean, the one that I I read pretty recently uh, over the past few years uh, is Sapiens. Sapiens was awesome. I thought it was uh, just fundamentally you learned so much about human history. And kind of even like the politics and the situation that we're in today uh, from it. Um, I thought that was really good. Um, and then the other one that I actually, there was one that actually changed my changed my life, believe it or not. Um, it's going to sound weird. So I had, because I, I used to play games all day, 
um, or very often, especially when I was a pro gamer, I, I was afflicted with um, carpal tunnel pretty bad for most of my adult life. Um, Can you and, explain what that is again? Because like as a gamer, like I've always wondered about that, but I've never gotten it. So w- what is that again? Just for everyone to... It's repetitive stress injury, right? So you, you basically like if you... You know, our bodies were not made to sit in a computer desk uh, all day staring at a monitor hunched over and using the mouse and keyboard like, you know, 12 hours a day. And so I got repetitive stress injury, which led it kind of became carpal tunnel where my like it became painful just to move my wrists, basically. And the pain would shoot all the way up to my shoulders. And I had this basically since I I mean, that was one of the reasons why I retired as a gamer. And uh, and then I've had it basically all the way basically since I was call it 18. Um, I'm 40 now. So, um, and, uh, so I mean, and I've tried everything. I've tried acupuncture, you know, massages multiple times a week, like it impacted my neck and shoulders and back and stuff as well. And anyway, so to cut a long story short, I had this whole thing, you know, I tried everything, nothing worked. Uh, and then I I read this book called the mind body prescription. (laughs) It's going to sound really hokey because I, I, like, this is like, I'm like the last person to believe in something like this. But basically, the, the con- I'll give you like the one second, like the, the one minute synopsis, which is that your mind and body, the, the premise of the book is that your mind and body are actually connected. And that a lot of repetitive stress injuries, uh, whether it's like neck pain, body pain, etc., are actually a manifestation of some internal strife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it was it, it, like we all have internal stuff, you know, that drive, you know, I mean, some of this stuff drives us. Right. Uh, and the idea well, the, the idea behind it was that there's a whole part of your system of your body that's autonomous, like your, you know, your immune system, uh, like blushing. Like you can't make yourself blush on purpose. So what is blushing? Like your body's reacting to some emotional state of yours. Right. And at a high level, people understand, like when you're super stressed, you, your back might get tight or your neck back, might get tight. And you go get a massage or you do a do yoga. So there's like some elements of that already. But he basically like put it more into like scientific form and uh, a way to try to uh, expel this emotional energy or whatever out of your body. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but I basically read this book and I, I thought it was the most hokey thing. It takes like, I don't know, a week to read it. It's really, really short. Um, and I, I read it and uh, literally a week later, I, w- I did not have carpal tunnel or any repetitive stress injury. <laughs> That's crazy. It blew my mind. It literally blew my mind. It's, it's called The Mind-Body Prescription by Dr. John Sarno. I, I'm going to uh, Amazon one-click that. I, I tell everybody about it because anyone that actually knows me knows I'd be the last person to believe any kind of hokey thing like this. But like you read the book and you just follow, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like having a psychotherapist, basically. Um, and it totally worked. And I've introduced it to a bunch of people, and it totally worked for them too. So, all right. Wait, wait. What, what is it? <laughs> I'm going to put in my search bar right now. Mind body prescription. Prescription. All right. I'm literally going to buy it right after. So, so I, I guess there's a follow-up question to that. I mean, you know, where did you learn about this book? And there's got to be a place that you go to learn about. Yeah, I I was Googling it because, I mean, literally, I so there was a period of like, I don't know, I want to say five years where I didn't play, I barely played any games. And the reason I barely played games was because I was in too much pain. And so, but I would still do it. (laughs) But like, like, imagine this, like, you know, I I would not play games for, call it nine months. I'd play one game of League of Legends for an hour and I'd have like raging pain down my, my forearms. For like for like the next month, it didn't it didn't make it didn't make sense to me. 
I was like, well, what the, you know, what the F, right? So I started, you know, again, I tried active, everything, acupuncture, acupressure, whatever. And I started Googling stuff and reading blogs. And I think it was like the CEO of NetApp had a blog where he wrote about this book. And he, he similarly was afflicted with this. And he came across this book. Uh, you know, he realized it was in times of stress that he had couple, he had massive carpal tunnel. He came across his book, he read it, and then it changed his life. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try it too. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, and I mean, it, I swear to God, it worked for me. So I mean, today I have zero pain. Like it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Love it. Cool, man. Well, I think that's going to yeah. be life-changing for everyone. If there's one thing to do from this podcast, just get that book. Um, but Dennis, this has been great. What's the best way for, for people to find you online? Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm just at Dresh, D-H-R-E-S-H on Twitter. That's it? Nothing else? No email? Uh, I mean, if they want to email me, they can email me at Dennis at plays.tv. All right. Cool. Dennis, thanks so much for doing this. All right. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.